said, my name is Damalola. I'm also part of the team here at KXC. And it is my joy to be leading us on as we continue and conclude our series in uh, Revelations, Unseen Reality. So I'd love to invite you, if you've got a Bible with you um, or a phone, to head to the book of Revelations. And as you head over to this book, you'll need to make your way through the entirety of the Old Testament. You'll need to get to the New Testament. You'll make it through every single book And yet you won't find it because there is no book in the Bible called Revelations. There is a book called Revelation and we are in that book today. And that's a bit of a silly point, but you'll need to pay that kind of attention to catch what Jesus is speaking to us today. Minute attention to every single detail. The word that Jesus has for us today is cutting. It is a cutting word, but the kind of cutting it is, is not that which is done with a butcher's knife, but rather that which is done with a surgeon's scalpel. So before I read from Revelation, I'd love to read these words from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable." There is immense challenge to us today from the word which Jesus seeks to speak to us. But because of the person that Jesus is, there is also immense comfort. The two go together. And so I encourage you to open up your heart and to hear with your ears the message Jesus has for us. John started off our service with a bit of liturgy today, and I'm going to continue with the liturgy theme. So I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 3, and the precise reference, if you want to follow along, is from verses 14 to 22. When I finish reading, reading, I will say these words, this is the word of the Lord, and I will invite you to respond with these words, thanks be to God. We practice that, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, as I said, this is a cutting word today, but it's not cutting for the sake of cutting. It's cutting for the sake of growth and life. And so as we say these words, we say no matter what our initial reactions are to the passage, to the text, we recognize over and above our reactions, God is seeking to speak to us and in his words, our life. And so from the get-go, we receive that which he has to say to us with thanksgiving. Are we ready? I'm not hearing you. Are we ready? Awesome. Let's do it. These words from Revelations chapter 3 from verse 14 to 22. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. 
you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is our moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me as we say together a word of prayer? Jesus, you know there isn't the competency or the capacity in me to fully deliver that which you desire to speak to your people today. And so, Spirit of God, I give the entirety of myself to you that you might speak over and above my frailty into the hearts of every single person present now, present in stock, while watching over the week, joining on Zoom that you would speak a word to your people. Jesus, if you don't speak to us, our gathering today is in vain. So we ask that you would speak. Spirit of God, would you work in every heart and mind and enable us to receive the word which is spoken to us today from the throne of grace. Would you be our guide and would you ignite these words in each and every heart, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you who are paying the kind of distinguishing between revelations and revelation attention that I mentioned a few minutes ago, you'll notice that in the first verse of our passage, we have the word amen. And so it is worth us considering what does this word mean? Now, in the usage that it was just put at the end of this prayer that I just prayed, it's a bit of a stamp of affirmation saying, let it be so, joining in together to say, we agree with what's been spoken, God, let it be so. And this is because the word, it's a Hebrew word, um, and it means, it functions as a stamp of validation. It functions to say, this is trustworthy, this is true, it should be accepted as such. And so Jesus introduces himself to the church in Laodicea and says, he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. And so 
you and I must ask ourselves, why does Jesus address this church in this way? Well, we introduce ourselves to people as a guide to them of how they should take us, of how they should accept us. It gives them an indication of how they should relate with us in the moment. So my mother is many, many things, and she is an incredible cook. My mother doesn't, in a hospital, say to patients who come her way, do you know what? Sorry about your ailment. By the way, I can throw it down in the kitchen. I can make six meals at one time, though the woman can. Instead, what she says is, I see you, I see your ailment, I see your condition. I am a doctor with a specialism in caring for children, and so I know how to care for you in this moment. We introduce ourselves to people based on the way in which we need them to relate with us, how we want them to accept that which we have to say. And something similar is in play with Jesus here as he speaks to the church in Laodicea. See, she is a church like our church that finds itself in the midst of a world where there are competing narratives, competing voices seeking to speak out on what is true, each making a claim to that which is really real. And Jesus says, I am the one who holds ultimate reality. If you want to know that which is binding, which is uniquely authoritative, which is so true that you can easily stake your life on it, come to me. Jesus is saying, don't just listen to me as one of a number of different voices right now. Listen to me as the amen, the one who has unique authority to speak that which is true and real. So what does Jesus say to the church at Laodicea? He says this, verse 15, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you thought that was punchy, Jesus saying he will spit them out of his mouth, then you would be relieved to know that it's even punchier. So the word that my Bible translates as spit is in its original form, the word vomit. Jesus is saying, you are lukewarm, and so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And that seems like a ridiculous overreaction on the part of Jesus. But he is speaking not just as a randomer off the street, but the one who has unique insight into reality. So we must probe what is Jesus saying and why is he saying it? Well, Jesus' main charge against them is that they are lukewarm. And as we've seen in the series to date, Jesus speaks a message to the churches, but he speaks with complete insight as to their temporal situation. So the church at Laodicea would have received this word and they would have known Jesus was speaking to them and he knew them intimately by the words that he speaks. So Laodicea. Laodicea is, as it were, a triplet city. So she has two other cities um, back in the day that would have been known alongside her. And these cities are Hierapolis and Colossae. And they're each famed for different reasons for their water supplies. So Hierapolis is known for its hot springs, which bring healing to all around. Colossae is known for its cold, refreshing water. 
Laodicea didn't quite get the memo and instead has lukewarm water. And this is because she has no natural source of water in herself. So water needs to be pumped to her. By the time water gets to Laodicea, it is lukewarm. But not only is it lukewarm, it is so unappetizing that in some people it induces vomit in them. So Jesus is saying, I'm intimately aware of your situation. And also, can we just take a moment to appreciate the alliteration going on here? This isn't even me. This is fully credit on God's word. Hierapolis, hot water, Colossae, cold water, Laodicea, lukewarm. I mean, it's something else. So Laodicea, lukewarm. Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. The lukewarmness that Jesus is talking about here is not so much a coming together, a combination of hot water and cold water. So you might be tempted to think, well, hot water is good. Cold water is good. Lukewarm water is the best because it's a combination of the two. That's not what's going on. Jesus doesn't say you are both cold and hot. He says you are neither cold nor hot. That which should have distinguished you, you have tamed to the point that it's unrecognizable in you. You're meant to be a church after my name, but instead your distinction has been covered over in compromise. And I, Jesus, cannot stand from my church, which is meant to minister healing and refreshing to the world, to be doing none of those things. Such a church is incompatible with my constitution. Jesus will not stand for a lukewarm church. Let's continue to see what he has to say to this church. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's quite an impressive list. You say you don't need a thing. Well, Laodicea was known for her wealth. Such was her wealth that in the year AD 60, she suffered an earthquake and the Roman authorities offered her a loan that she might rebuild herself. And the words that Laodicea spoke in response were very much like those we find in chapter 17 of our passage. I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now of a city, we might consider this to be good stewardship. And indeed, it is. It's a commendable thing when a city doesn't need to take a loan, perpetuating debt, leaving it on to future generations. And yeah, when these words are spoken of the church of Jesus to the Lord of the church, they are pitiable indeed. Something of the spirit of Laodicea has gotten into the spirit of the church. And rather than she being the one who sets the temperature for her surroundings, for her environment, the temperature of the church is being set by that of her spiritual environment. The opposite thing to what is meant to be happening is happening. And we see here that there is inverse proportionality between the wealth of the city and the health of the church. And this is something that you and I, worshipping in a church in the city of London, ought to take note of. Again, listen to the words that Jesus says, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
And on each of these points, again, Jesus is speaking to a contextual reality of this church. She doesn't realize that amidst her wealth, she is poor. She is famed for solvent banks, and yet her spiritual condition is one of poverty. We live in one of the richest cities in the world. You don't realize that you are blind. Laodicea was famed for its eye ointment. People would come from the surrounding regions to its medicine, to its doctors. Hospitals got there in the end, and they would receive of its world-class treatment. We've got Moorfields Eye Hospital just up the road, which is a similar establishment when it comes to repute. You don't realize that you are naked. Laodicea was famed for her fashion. Her garments were the talk of the surrounding nations. Once more, there is a strong link here between this city and our city. And yet Jesus says, as you use these things, things which are not bad in and of themselves, but as you allow their proximity to you, their being around you to lull you into spiritual sleep and slumber, you become compromised and you become ineffective, ineffective for that task which I have for you. And so what does Jesus say? Well, mercifully, Jesus isn't like some people that you and I know. See, we've all come across the kind of person who's very, very happy to point out a massive problem and then leave you on your ones to figure it out all by yourself. Praise God, Jesus isn't that kind of guy. So what does he say? He says in verse 18, So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Jesus says, buy gold from me. Now, if we're paying attention, we know that Laodicea does have solvent banks. She does have gold. She doesn't need physical gold. Jesus is speaking to her to seek something which is only received spiritually from him. And so we must ask the question, how does one buy from Jesus? What is the currency that Jesus accepts? What is the currency that Jesus responds to? And that which heaven responds to, that which unlocks the riches of heaven, is not human acquisition, not human brilliance, not human accomplishment, but actually human need. That's why that word that John shared earlier was so poignant coming before the throne of God, having nothing. And he's saying, you're getting it all wrong if you're ashamed of the nothing that you have. That is precisely what I long for you to bring to me. See, Jesus is calling out his church here, but he's not calling her out to condemn her. Rather, he is calling her out to pull her close. Jesus says you are poor, you're miserable, you're wretched, you're blind, you're naked. But if we remember the earthly ministry of Jesus, these are the precise sorts of people that Jesus spends his time with, that he goes looking for, searching for. In naming their need, Jesus is not seeking to shame them. He is seeking to cover them, to be that which is the true solution to their situation, to their heart's desires, to be the one who satisfies every single longing that they have. 
as a church, they have taken their affiliation with Jesus and combined it with an allegiance to the city. And Jesus is saying that will not do. You must find your life only in me if you're going to be the kind of church that I am calling you to be. He says, buy gold from me, receive garments from me, receive ointment. Let me show you what reality is. Let me show you that which is true and real like only I can. Verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And the word there for turning is the word metanoia, means repent, it means a 180 degree turn away from the pursuit of self-sufficiency and strength in our own accomplishments and instead a turning wholesale to receive life from Jesus. Now there are three words that I'd love for you to bear in mind as we go through the rest of this passage. And they are the words consecration, communion, and commission. Consecration, communion, commission. Can we try that together? Consecration, communion, commission. So, consecration. Verse 18, buy from me gold that has been purified by fire. Well, in the Old Testament, we have the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and we have the temple. And these are two sites for the worship of Israel's God. And a number of different instruments are used at the temple. And gold instruments are particularly prominent of the particular order that serve God in a particular way. And Jesus is saying here... Come and receive the gold that comes from me, gold that has been purified by fire. You see, for gold to be fit to be used in the temple, it had to go through a process of purification where impurities rose to the surface and they were done away with, that the gold was free to concentrate on being used by God and not having these impurities keeping coming up. Jesus is inviting us to deeper consecration, to be set apart for his use. Yet consecration is costly. And that is why the Laodicean church isn't living a consecrated life. Because a church that is compromised rather than consecrated is at peace with the world around it and the world around her is at peace with her. Lukewarm water is comfortable And yet, for the purposes of Jesus, it is not fit for the task. Jesus is inviting us to take a road that is costly. And yet, the cost of consecration is sustained by the depth of communion. Look with me at verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is saying, I do not want to be on the outside of my church. I want to come in and for your consecration to be sustained by that which only comes from me. Jesus is inviting us to respond to him with all of our lives to give ourselves over to him. I have said about how this is a cutting word, about how it's a challenging word. But in the midst of it all, it is not a coercive 
word. See, Jesus speaks to his church and he gives her agency. She is permitted to make her own response to him. She can't choose the consequences of her actions, but she can choose what her reaction to him is going to be. And he is inviting her to choose life. The same Jesus that we see on the outside of this door, knocking politely, is the one last week whom we saw holds the keys of David. There is no door he can't open. And yet outside the door of your and I's hearts, Jesus will not kick it down forcefully. Jesus will knock and he will wait. And he will invite you to make your own response. What is your response going to be? So Jesus is calling for a consecrated church. Jesus is calling for a church that knows its commission to be sustained by communion with him. And finally, commission. Verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Jesus is seeking to bequeath responsibility and authority to his church. He doesn't want her to be ineffective. He doesn't want her to be compromised. He wants her to be full of the Spirit's power. And so if we accept the calling towards consecration, if we sit with Jesus in a place of communion, then he will give us a commission like that which we have not known before. And it's the same as the same commission. There is one commission for the people of God. That is to know him and to worship him and also to be conduits of the life that only comes from Jesus in the world. And so we have finished our study of the Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. And so we come to recap a bit what Jesus has been doing with us as a church family in this series. Why he's taken us through these seven letters why we've been in this book at all and as I've sought to sit and understand what it is that Jesus has for us in taking us through this series I was drawn to um, hone in on two verses in Revelation chapter 1 and I'll read these in your hearing Revelation 1 5 and 6 all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Two things from this. One is the cross and the second is the priesthood of every believer. So the cross. I believe in this series that Jesus has been drawing us back to his cross. The cross of Jesus is the central event in the book of Revelation. It is the central event in the Christian Bible. It is the central event in human history. Jesus is calling us to be a people who are formed by his cross, who know what it is to shed the load of our sin and our rebellion against God, to shed it at the cross, to look upon the love that loved us enough to die for us while we still thought we had no need for him, while we as Laodicea spoke that we were rich, that we had everything that we wanted. Jesus knew better and in the midst of our arrogance, 
ignorance and arrogance, Jesus paid the highest price for us. Everything that Jesus is calling us to as a community comes from a place of responding to this cross. And it might be that you are here today, that you're watching, listening, and you've not responded to the cross of Jesus. You've not taken that sacrifice from 2,000 years ago to be relevant for you today. Jesus is saying, you think you don't need me, but I am telling you that you do. That which you are seeking satisfaction in other things, in, in wealth, in riches, in wellness, can only come from me. And so in a moment, I'd love to invite you to respond to Jesus and his cross and to say that you will see your life in view of his sacrifice and pledge yourself to him. But also for those of us who do know the cross of Jesus, who have met him at the cross, we have a threefold message from Jesus, not just from Laodicea, but from these series. Jesus is calling us to know consecration. And there is a cost to being set apart for the use of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to willy-nilly come along to populate King's house on a Sunday. He wants us all to count the cost of what it is to live in allegiance to him. But if I only emphasize the cost of consecration and didn't also draw you to the depth of communion that is promised to those who come to Jesus, I wouldn't be doing a good job. It is not just that Jesus is seeking us to be set apart so that he can use us. He wants us to know him in the way that we can only know him when we give him everything. When we open the entirety of our being, when we stop chasing after life in other things and instead seek to find it in him. And when we give ourselves to Jesus and we receive the fullness of that which he has for us, we let him tend to our wounds, we let him deal with our disappointments, we let him minister life to us, then we will be equipped in the commission that he has for us. At a conference recently, Wildfires Festival, that our church was part of, Pete Gregg, one of the speakers, said that he believed that we could be on the cusp of one of the greatest missional opportunities of a generation. Now, if that is true, then the fields are white for the harvest. There is extraordinary need around us. Jesus is seeking to mobilize his church in her ministry as priests, every single one of us in every single environment that we go to, we can be ones who bring the reality of the ever-living God of Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross to those around us. And yet we won't do it if we've been lulled to sleep, if we've been seduced by this world. Jesus's heart burns with love for those who don't yet know him. And he longs to mobilize his church in effective mission and witness to those who are outside of the fold. How will we respond to the calling to consecration, communion, and commission from Jesus? I invite you to stand, please.